0: Good evening, evening. glad you're here, thankful we have this opportunity to worship God together. Not everybody knows this about me, but for about six years while I was growing up, I had two older stepbrothers, and we all lived in the same house together, and they were not really the best of influences. They got really bad grades in school, they would skip class all the time. There was even one of them who would often threaten to run away from home, and on several occasions did, and we'd have to call the police, and they'd come, and it was, it, was a, it was a big deal. I remember one time at school, we were learning about role models, and my teacher was making this point about role models and giving example of people in our lives who might be able to be a good role model to us. I remember her mentioning, you know, older siblings, I remember going home and being sad and telling my mom mom teacher said that older siblings ought to be good role models but I don't really think my older stepbrothers are and she said Forrest they're good role models in that they show you what not to do and maybe you've had somebody like that in your life maybe even an older sibling somebody who shows you what not to do <laughs> instead of what to do I think too we have an example of that in Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10. I hope you'll turn there in your Bibles if you're not already there. In this evening, we're going to be learning from strange fire, looking at this account in Leviticus 10 and seeing some things, trying to understand what exactly is going on here and then seeing some points of application for us in the text as it continues down through verse number 11. Recently in our Bible reading plan, I think even today, this was part of the text that was for us to read in this chronological Bible reading plan, either today or yesterday. And in this, you see a couple of interesting things that we'll point to later, but think about the end of the book of Exodus. In the end of the book of Exodus, the last couple of chapters, really 10 plus chapters, it's all these instructions about how the tabernacle is going to be built, what it's going to look like, and you have those artisans following the instructions of God and building it. And then in Exodus 39, you have the priestly garments. And finally, those are made. And then in Exodus 40, you have really this climax where the tabernacle is set up. And the very end of the book of Exodus is the glory of the Lord comes and rests in the tabernacle. And you get this sense of, wow, God's people are doing what they're supposed to do. And then in Leviticus 1 through 8, All you have is different laws about the different types of sacrifices that are going to be offered in that tabernacle. And then in Leviticus 9, you have Aaron. And he offers the first sacrifice. And if you look in Leviticus 9, 24, you have this sign that what Aaron did was pleasing to the Lord. It says, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted, And fell on their faces. Wow, God is really here. Wow, God is really pleased with our worship. He's pleased with this sacrifice. And unfortunately, almost immediately, things take a downward turn. And we read about that in Leviticus 10. So first, let's set the stage for this strange fire. And look at Leviticus 10, verse number 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it and offered uh, sorry, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Your translation might say, strange fire, which the Lord had not commanded them. Before we get into all that this really is, let's ask some questions. In the first place, who were Nadab and Abihu? And if you've been reading and paying attention to these guys in our Bible reading plan, you might know that they're the oldest sons of Aaron. It said that for us, Leviticus 10.1, they're the sons of Aaron. And Exodus 6.23, their birth order is given, and even in Numbers three two it's reiterated, hey, these are the sons of Aaron, and it talks about their sin and what happened to them. But more than that, they were ordained as priests to serve God. In Exodus twenty-nine thirty-five, the ordination process is described, and it's described as this seven day process. And look at Leviticus eight thirty-six, just the page over in our Bibles. It says there, And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Uh, so these guys, really what I want us to see is that they knew their stuff, right? They weren't just temps. They weren't just filling in at the tabernacle. These were the guys who were supposed to do this job. That was their purpose. They were consecrated for this job, set apart, made holy so that they could offer sacrifices to the Lord. And more than that, they even were in a, an exclusive group almost who saw God from afar. Look at what it says there. Keep your a place in Leviticus, and look back in Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Notice what it says there about Nadab and Abihu, among others. It says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So Nadab and Abihu, it's not like they're not meant for this job. It's not like they don't know who God is. In fact, they're in this pretty exclusive group of people who were able to see God from afar when Moses brings the leaders of Israel up a little bit to the mountain. They don't go up with him, but they're able to see God from afar. And think about everything going in through Nadab and Abihu's Head. Overall, the point is they were familiar with the wonderful works of God. They lived through the Exodus. They saw all that God did, how they rescued, how God rescued Israel with a mighty hand out of bondage in Egypt. They even beheld God as they ate and drank with the 70 elders of Israel. They were consecrated for this purpose, the eldest sons of the high priest of Israel. So now that we know who they are, let's take a special look at their sin. Nadab and Abihu's sin. Look at what's said about them there if you turn back in Leviticus chapter 10. It describes what they do. Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And notice a couple of interesting things about the way this sin is described. What was the sin really? It's this that they offered strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord. The context makes that clear. Believe it or not, there's debates and commentaries and among scholars what exactly they did wrong. But I think the text makes it pretty clear they offered something—fire to the Lord—that was strange. It was foreign. God never asked for it. That's what they did wrong. But notice also what it says. How do we know that it was strange? How do we know that it was foreign? How do we know that it was unauthorized? What does that even mean? Thankfully, the text tells us. Look at the latter part of Leviticus 10.1. What do you mean it was strange? Fire which the Lord had not commanded them. And there is some debate. Were the ingredients of the incense wrong? Most likely, it seems to me that they gathered coals. They gathered fire from a place other than that consecrated place within the tabernacle where they were supposed to get fire. And they offered that fire to the Lord, even though the Lord had specified which fire to bring before him. And in so doing, in offering God other than that which he has specified, they sin, and it's made abundantly clear. And I think something we need to realize is that it's still possible to offer unauthorized worship to God today. This is something that for many is a foreign concept. This is something that for many is a strange idea, the fact that You could offer something to God and it could be from the heart and you could be honest and you could be sincere. But if it's other, but if it's that other than which God has specified for him, it's strange. It's foreign. It's not something he's asked for. And it's not something that he wants. And sure, we're under a new covenant. Sure, we're not Uh, priests in these priestly robes offering fire before the Lord, but the character of God has not changed since Leviticus 10. And when we read in the New Testament and we see that the church's worship is commanded, that it's given by these specific examples, we ought to offer exactly what God has shown us to offer. And we offer unauthorized worship today, hopefully not us, but people in this world, offer to God and worship something other than that that which he has specified. For example, he has specified that we sing and we make melody in our hearts. So musical instruments are not authorized. He has specified that the Lord's Supper is to be partaken every first day of the week. So to do it every third Wednesday, quite frankly, is just not authorized. He has specified that the Lord's Supper is unleavened bread and fruit of the vine, so bagel bites and Dr. Pepper... Are not authorized. And you look at that and you say, well, that sounds legalistic. That sounds just something like, you know, that that just doesn't make any sense. But here in Leviticus 10, we get a somber reminder of how serious God takes worship. It's not something to be entered into lightly. It's not something to joke around with or to play about. It's not something to walk into unprepared. We cannot traipse into the presence of God and just offer him whatever we happen to want. We need to look and see what God wants and give him that. Nothing more and nothing less. We don't need to see God say, thou shalt not, etc., 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 to know that something, something should not be done. When God specifies what he wants in worship, we can be sure that anything else will not do. We're told in Colossians 3.17 to do everything we do in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we look into our New Testaments and see specifically what God wants, we should offer him nothing less. Unauthorized worship is still a sin. When we do something in worship to God that he has not asked for, we miss the mark. I've discussed this before with somebody and they said, yeah, but we're not priests. This isn't the Old Testament. We're not priests. I mean, it's less of a big deal for us than it was for them. But I beg to differ. In 1 Peter 2.9, we read that every single Christian is a priest. And if the priests of the Old Testament took worship so seriously to the point where they knew they could die if they offered the wrong thing, how should we, under a better covenant, with more serious promises, and even, the Hebrew's author would say, more serious punishment. How should we approach worship today? With reverence, with awe, seeking to give God what he wants. Notice God's response to the sin of Nadab and Abihu. We can see very clearly that God takes this sin seriously. Notice verse 2, And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Just like that. But I want you to notice the contrast here between verse 2 and chapter 9, verse 24. In chapter 9, verse 24, the fire comes out from the presence of the Lord. And what does it do? It doesn't consume Aaron. It doesn't consume the people. It consumes the sacrifice. And that's God saying, look, this is pleasing to me. But in verse 2, the fire from the presence of the Lord comes out. And what does it consume? It consumes Nadab and Abihu. Why? Because they've transgressed what God has asked for. They've acted wickedly, and they failed him as priests. Again, we cannot just stroll into the presence of God and offer him whatever we want as worship. And some people read this and they say, well, that was the Old Testament. Things have changed. And while there is a new covenant, and while God does not expect or ask for the same things in worship, God is still God, and God still takes worship very seriously. Look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. And notice what the Bible says there, Hebrews 12, 28 Through 29, and this is written to Christians. This is written to people under the New Covenant. And notice this reminder. The Hebrews author tells us, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, because we've received such a kingdom, because we're in the church, because we have all these all this hope, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Notice why, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. And you almost have to wonder if the Hebrews author had Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 in his mind when he wrote these words by inspiration. This reference to God being a consuming fire, this reference to offering God with reverence and awe, worship that is pleasing to him. And we see the seriousness of worshiping the creator of heaven and earth. And we might look at this and say, God surely is overreacted, but we are not in the place to make such claims. God, sovereign over the entire universe, gets to set the mandates for how he's worshipped. God, the Lord of our lives, the Lord of everything we see, can dole out the punishment as he sees fit. One writer wrote, The serious consequence of Nadab and Abihu's disobedience is a reminder of how absolutely, resolutely important the worship of God is to be for a believer's life. What we do when we worship God ought not to be taken lightly. And God will not strike us dead today for unauthorized worship, but we ought not think that because he won't, that we can get away with something, that it's any less serious. The God of the Bible deserves respect, He deserves reference, and he deserves to be given that for which he's asked for. Nothing more and nothing less. One commentator likewise pointed out something interesting in the books of Genesis and Exodus, the early parts of the Old Testament, how again and again you have this pattern of something new being set up and men ruining it. Think about in the Garden of Eden where God plants the Garden of Eden. And he has this beautiful paradise for mankind to live. And when you read the narrative, it seems pretty soon after that, what happens? They eat of the one tree they're not allowed to eat from, and they're banished from the Garden of Eden. Think about Noah. After his time on the ark, when he finally gets off, and he's able to stretch his legs, and he's on this almost remade earth in that it's completely different than what it was like before. But what does he do? He plants a vineyard, he gets drunk, and his sons uncover his nakedness. Think about in Exodus, how as soon as the people of God leave and they're starting towards the promised land, they have this opportunity, God's delivering them the law, and what do they do? They fall into idolatry. And here, the very first priestly service done by the sons of Aaron, what happens? They offer the wrong fire, and they're consumed. It seems, unfortunately, that human beings are really good at messing things up. Thankfully, God gives us grace, and mercy, and we can change, and we can turn to him and be helped. But Nadab and Abihu, God had to set a precedent. He will be feared, he will be reverenced, and the worship and his priestly service must be done as commanded. But let's continue on with the rest of the chapter, and with the rest of the time we have, not the rest of the chapter, the rest of the section, we'll look at some lessons we learn in verses 3 through 11, and God's response to Aaron and Moses and others on the heels of what has happened here with Nadab and Abihu. And we'll see some things that God demands from his people. And I'll submit to you that though we're in a new covenant, though we're under the law of Christ, God demands these things still today from us. Notice in the first place, God demands respect. Look at Leviticus 10.3. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Think about that. Think about what's just happened. And think about the first thing that God says to Aaron through Moses. His sons have just died. They were consumed because they offered that other than which God wanted. And God's response is: Listen, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will. Be glorified, And we see that Nadab and Abihu's sin, I think part of what God is saying here is Nadab and Abihu's sin went deeper than just, oh, we're going to offer the wrong type of fire. This type of disregard for what God has asked for goes deeper than just the actions in which it's manifest. It goes deeper and it goes to the state of one's heart. Why did Nadab and Abihu think they could do whatever they want and bring fire from wherever to offer it to the Lord? Because they forgot this fact, that among those who are near God, he will be sanctified, and before all the people, he will be glorified. They forgot the seriousness of what was going on. And authorized worship still today begins with a failure to see God for who he really is. And yes, God is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But he's also, the Hebrews author tells us, a consuming fire. He also demands from us this type of sanctification, this type of glorification. He also is clear to us in what he wants and expects us to give him what he's asked for. Notice in the next place that God commands, sorry, demands holiness. Look at Leviticus ten four through 5. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Oziel the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses has said. Now the interesting thing here is part of this is to maintain with some of the holiness code that we read about in the Pentateuch. A dead body wasn't supposed to be that close to the sanctuary. It wasn't even supposed to be within the camp. And Aaron, think about the boy's own father couldn't carry them. Why? He's anointed as priest. He's doing his priestly service. He can't become unclean. So Aaron's uncles are called, and they carry the bodies outside of the camp. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, this imagery of carrying something out of the camp is symbolic of trying to maintain holiness, trying to maintain cleanliness within a community. And just like those dead bodies who had died because of their sin had to be carried out of the camp of Israel, we too should make sure that sin does not remain within our camp. And I'm not saying we become nosy and we start prying in each other's business, but what I am saying is when sin presents itself in the church, we need to make sure that as a community and as leadership, of course, that we do something about it. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 5, if you would turn there, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2. And later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul would use this imagery of cleaning out the old leaven. This idea of, hey, if there's a brother who's in unrepentant sin, he cannot, have just a, he cannot remain within the camp. Sometimes we refer to that as a withdrawal fellowship. But notice what it said here in 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Notice verse 2. And you are arrogant. They didn't mind it. They were boasting about it. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And you go on and you read about some of the specifics of what that is supposed to look like. But this idea of holiness among the people of God isn't just an Old Testament idea. It's in the New Testament as well. Look at Ephesians 5 verses 3 through 5. And notice what Paul says there to those Christians by inspiration. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, trying to maintain our holiness as the group of God's people. So often, unfortunately, this holiness of God's people is mentioned in the context of sexual immorality because of the prevalence of those kinds of sins. But look at what he says here. First, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, notice this, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. That's how serious we as a people should take holiness. These types of sins shouldn't even be named among us. In other words, it shouldn't even be thought that maybe we're doing these kinds of things. And he goes on, how do we have that happen? Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of God in Christ. Notice how serious even the church is to take holiness. Notice how serious the church even is to take these kinds of things when they come up, when sin is present among us. And we read in Thessalonians that we do it not to embarrass somebody, not to beat somebody up, but to try to win them again as a brother. Because you cannot be consistent in unrepentant sin and be a faithful brother or sister in Christ. So how do we get back there? Well, the sin has to stop. It has to be repented of. Then the person can be restored to our community. And it's not because we think we're better. It's not anything like that. It's because of the God we serve. God is holy, and he expects his people to be holy. And when we walk and follow him in love will help each other to be holy as well. God demands holiness in Leviticus 10 and even still today. Next, God demands continuation, specifically continuation of his service. Look at Leviticus 10, back in our text, Leviticus 10, verses 6 through 7. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail. Well the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And some people again have read this and said, God's a little bit unfair here, but not really. God is asking Aaron, the father of these two men who have died, not to mourn. That's what he says when he says, don't cut your hair, don't tear your clothes. And said, Let your brethren in Israel mourn for you. Which is a lesson for us in the New Testament. We're told to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. But that's another sermon. Notice here what's said. He says, You can't even leave the sanctuary. Why not? Because the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. In other words, Aaron, you still have a job to do. Your sons did the wrong thing. And that's horrible. But Aaron, you still have to do what God has commanded you. And sometimes we look around and we see friends, we see family members who we know are heading down the wrong path. And we think sometimes that can be a discouraging thing. Sometimes it discourages us so much we wonder why we're even trying to do what God has commanded us. But here is a reminder from God. That no matter what's going on around us, We have to keep doing what we know is right. And just like Aaron's situation, there might be people around us offering unauthorized worship to God. There might be people around us who are doing things that we know isn't right. But what's our response? To quit? Or to be like Aaron, and though he's upset, though he's distraught, to keep doing the job that God has for him. So as we look around and we see those individuals whom we love, whom we hold dearly, do that which is contrary to God's will, we can take a lesson from this in that we can still not be discouraged but do what we know God has said. Next, God demands sobriety. Look at Leviticus 10:8 through 9. Notice what God says. Leviticus 10:8 through 9. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, "Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It will be a statute forever throughout your generations." So here's a, a, a law statute. Hey, Aaron, you, your sons, the priests, they're to drink no wine or strong drink. And that word, strong drinks, there's some debate over what that is, but really, for my research, is really any kind of fermented beverage. They would ferment dates. They would ferment barley. Some newer translations translate that as beer. And though it might not beer the way we think about it. They would take wheat and grain like that and ferment it and drink it. And Moses says, or God, sorry, says to Aaron and his sons, look, this is out of place for you, the priestly servants. Some have even suggested that because God gives this command now, maybe that's part of why Nadab and Abihu did what they did. Maybe they were inebriated, and that led to them taking fire from the wrong place. The text doesn't say that, so I'm not really comfortable with saying that either. But think about this idea. Why would God here of all places command the priests, look, you are to stay sober. It's much easier to succeed in reverence, in service, in self-control when we are sober. And we see here that because of God's admonition to the priest, this reminder of, look, when you're out of your right mind, when you're drunk, when you're inebriated, it's a lot harder to serve God correctly. And this is a theme you see throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. And there's a lot of verses we could go to, but I just want to go to Ephesians 5, if you would turn there. Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19. And look specifically at the contrast that Paul makes. Ephesians 5, 18, and 19. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice that word in verse 18 that but that's there, that conjunction. And notice the contrast that's made between being drunk and being filled with God's Holy Spirit. And the point that's being made here is, look, if we're to live the life God wants us to live, verse 17, knowing what the will of the Lord is, it's not going to involve drunkenness. I don't know about you, I have a hard enough time controlling myself anyway. I don't need any other barriers or hurdles. And it was a somber reminder for Aaron and the priests. You have a calling that's much higher than anything here. You have a calling to revere God, to serve him every day of your life. And it's not that God hates fun or he doesn't want us to have a good time. It's that he realizes, of course he does, he's God, that when we imbibe these types of things, we're less likely to be able to do that which is right. Notice this last couple of points. In the next place, God demands discernment. Look at verse number 10, Leviticus chapter 10, verse number 10, and notice what God says here. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Again, something Nadab and Abihu failed to do. They got this unauthorized fire, this unholy fire, this common fire, and offered it on the holy altar of the Lord. God's people, we, need to be reminded of that which is holy and that which isn't. Again, this is a failure of Nadab and Abihu. We live in a culture that makes really no distinction between holy and common. God's name is taken in vain. Sacred institutions are mocked. Worship oftentimes devolves into that which is unauthorized or is entered into lightly. But that shouldn't be said of us. We should be people who know what the will of the Lord is and seek to follow it. Look at Romans 12, 1 through 2 as this lesson comes to a close. Romans 12, 1 through 2. And notice what we read there. I want to pay special attention to that final clause. We read, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice this, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Ephesians 5.17, we read not too long ago, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5.10, try to understand that which is pleasing to the Lord. We have an obligation to discern, to know that which is right, and to follow it. Lastly, God demands that these things be taught. Look at Leviticus 10, 11, the end of this section. The end of God's words to Aaron in this time, right on the heels of his sons dying. He says, And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. And we see that Aaron as a priest has a responsibility. But when we turn over to the New Testament, we see that every single Christian has a responsibility. Not necessarily to get behind a pulpit and to preach, but to teach others what the will of the Lord is. That's a big part of why we're here. That's a big part of what Jesus, when he left, the mission he left for his people to accomplish, to go into all the world, to teach them, to baptize them, to make disciples. You see, that was true for Aaron, but it's also true for us. God demands that we teach others. And I hope we see from this text that We can follow the advice of Leviticus 10, or rather the commands of Leviticus 10, 3-11, but we should not be like Nadab and Abihu. And just like I had those stepbrothers who were not a good example for me, but they taught me what not to do, Nadab and Abihu teach us what not to do. And they, because of their actions, reveal a side of God that is as true as any other part of his nature, that he cares what's offered to him in worship. That he seeks reverence, that he seeks sincerity, that he seeks us to offer him that for which he specified, authorized worship. So let's go out and be a people who are about these kinds of things, people who are sober minded and self-controlled, people who care about holiness, people who are willing to teach these things to others. Not only will we be blessed by God, but we'll be able to bring more into his kingdom. If you're here and you're not a member of the church, if you're not a Christian, tonight's the night to change that. Don't be like Nadab and Abihu. Don't not care about what God has said. We see the consequences of that kind of life. Instead, come to God on his terms. Submit to him. Believe in him and his son. Confess the name of Jesus. Repent of your sins. And be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will rise to walk in newness of life. Maybe we haven't been taking worship seriously enough. Maybe there's some part of our life when we read Leviticus 10:3 through11, where we see we need to change. Today's the day to do that. We're a group of people who are trying to help each other get to heaven, and we'd love to help you this evening. Come forward while we sing if you have the need.